Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. episode of the Forgotten Light Dice Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the stir-craziness to my social distancing, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I am I am tired and low energy today. I am, yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to have to pump you up. We're going to have to pump you, you know, up. You know what I think the problem is? Like, uh, so, like, all the kids are home, obviously, and I've been taking care of them. And so, yesterday, I was like... I should go to bed early. Going to bed early sounds good. So we did. We went to bed real early. And then I slept in real late. And I think I did that thing where I spun the dial, you know, where Ooh. you like sleep too much. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and your body and your body kind of goes like, you only slept like three hours. So you're really tired, but you're oddly awake. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at right now. I'm still recovering from this past weekend. I, I had a chance to sleep in once, which never happens. And I ended up sleeping till almost noon, which I have not done in probably years. Mm-hmm. And when I woke up, I was feeling really good and really full of energy. And then the next three days in a row, I couldn't get to bed before like two thirty in the morning. Yeah, and yeah. now I'm all just screwed up. Yeah, I'm just I just want to go to bed. Like I I didn't take a nap today because uh, I realized I should have finished Diamonds Are Forever last night, and so I Diamonds uh, Are Forever. Yeah, so I had to finish that uh, while my while the twins were napping, and I'm like I should have catch caught some Z's while they were doing that. That would have made me a lot more perky but you don't get perky you get like daria robert today that's okay that's okay we're gonna perk you right up sure you are sure you are i should i should always get some laughs out of you come on baby have some faith no i i have no sense of humor today that i'm aware of i'm i'm all dry well i'm like i'm like what's that white wine what's that white wine that's really dry i don't even know my wine so i don't know (laughs) on the plus side this is an activity that you as a listener can enjoy it's a bit of a social activity without any potential viral outcomes. So congratulations for finding us. What are you talking about? You can listen to podcasts and not have to worry about catching a virus. Oh, oh, I am so confused right now, Jonathan. Yeah, I thought I you were tell. I thought you were setting me up like you were pitching me the ball for today's national day. And no, I that's was waiting for next. that. I was ready to catch I'm not it. Not there yet. And then, like, and then, because like, what, what, come, what comes you know, whizzing over my head, Jonathan? What comes whizzing over my head is this basketball of like something else. And I'm like, what? But do you but know why I'm, we can't talk catcher. about the national the national day yet? I'm the catcher, Jonathan. I'm the catcher, and and you pitch to me some other ball. You're you're off script. You're a crazy man. You're a maverick. You're reckless. I'm gonna give you 24 <laughs> hours to find Mendoza, or else you're off the case. Are you gonna Are you gonna pull my wings? That's right. And then you're off the case. Well, you know, you know why we can't, uh, we can't talk about whatever the national day is yet, right? Because you haven't thought or thanked our patrons yet. That's you're right. You're off the script. You're loose As cannon always, there, we Edwards. We start this sucker off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and the N95 masks on. I'm not wearing a mask at home, man. Nah, either am I. I, I, I just haven't got outside in days. I've gone outside, just not down the street. So I, this uh, episode, and I'm just going to talk about this a little bit just for the sake of the historical aspects of it um, <laughs> and the fact that we're going to get a chance to talk about it. This episode is during a time period that I can only describe as, and I don't say this lightly, 
unprecedented in American history. I have been told to stay home from work for three weeks. The schools are closed. Everything is closed. It's just surreal. We are in an actual pandemic. And if you want to know what that's like, go watch the movie Contagion, because suddenly it's very realistic. Not that it wasn't before, but now it's just Tuesday. You know what my my existence is right now, what I'm most channeling? There's an episode of The Family Guy where Stewie and Brian go back to college, and Stewie walks up to Brian. He's like, dude, smell my armpits. They, they're epic. And, and yeah, I'm kind of there right now because I, I should have also showered yesterday instead of going to bed early, but I didn't do that either. <laughs> I should have done it at some point today, but I'm like, I'm like steeping in my own like putrescence or whatever, which I'm told is a thing that makes the mosquitoes go away, but uh, not having a problem with that right now. And I'm just regretting that decision right now because for whatever reason, my funk is wafting up to me uh, as we record this. So I'm, uh, I'm a special level of hell, Jonathan. Just want you to know. Robert's got that funk, though. Yeah, I got the funk. He's got the funk? I don't know how that song goes. He's got the funk. Well, I know that part. And you bop your head, because it's important. Gonna have the funk. Spe- speaking of funks... George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars? Sure, I'll go with that. I'm not sure how this Parliament is going to segue to, to cheesesteaks, but here we go. Happy National Cheesesteak Day. I was hoping to actually go out and get one today, but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, most everything's on delivery. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe get one delivered if you're feeling frisky. I don't know. Maybe I'll try to figure out how to make one at home with what I got. Although we don't have beef. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> uh, you can always do chicken. Yeah, intriguing, intriguing. Maybe I'll give that a go. Maybe I'll put that on the old meal plan. Wife, put that on the meal plan. Well, it is now time for us to move into our first segment. That is, of course, the off the shelf segment, the segment where we talk about all the things that we've had off of our shelves onto our tables and most importantly, into our hearts. Robert, in honor of you being a little more sullen than normal, where would you like us to kick off? If you hear unusual sounds coming out of me, I think it's because I'm not going to be able to resist the smell of dinner coming up from downstairs. So I think I can hold it off until this segment's over. What is Gina cooking? Uh, we cooked a pork shoulder in a slow cooker yesterday, and she's making a stir fry out of it tonight. If it weren't illegal in most states, I'd be right over yeah 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 well you know have fun driving across you know three four or five states to do that hey no traffic today <laughs> yeah fair enough positives why don't we uh why don't we start with reading then reading i've got escalating levels of excitement where would you like to start uh, the base the base okay uh, I have been reading at the library before it closed forever, or at least for several weeks. Uh, I got my hands on a copy of Pathfinder 2. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, which has been interesting. Uh, I don't like it. I don't think I'd run it. I'd play it. I think I'd play it. It has some really, really good ideas. I like how they handle character creation because you actually don't roll dice. They just give you a lot of things called stat boosts. So, like, based off of what class you pick, your background your species and something else. I forget what um, you just get boost to stats. And then that's how you figure out what your starting stats are. So you don't have to roll dice and, and a boost is just plus two, which at that point, why are they even bother with doing things numerically? Why don't you just say, you know, pluses, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. And then when you pick your species, like an elf, they get a, uh, it's not a boost, it's uh, the opposite of boost, which I don't remember what their word is, but they basically get a minus two to their uh, constitution. 
but yeah, basically all your stats start at zero. And then when you pick your species, one of those goes down to minus one. And then you just go from there because yeah, if you're just doing boosts, like why do you need the numeric value of anything anymore? It's kind of pointless. I've been thinking for a long time of tying uh, stat boosts into background and not into your race and D and D because the notion that your background has nothing to do with how you physically turn out, but your species somehow has everything to do with it is a little racist and wrong. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, now given fifth edition doesn't have any stat negatives. So they're not saying that some races are inherently less intelligent or healthy or something than other races, which is not the most horrible of takes, but still definitely a positive given history. Yes, but it's still enforcing bad stereotypes, especially with the way fantasy writers have that bad habit of just the non-human cultures are those brown people cultures, you know? I'm looking at you, World of Warcraft, and how all the night elves are basically Korean. Looking at you. so Wow. Yeah. No, night elves are Korean. They have handbooks. They have a lot of Korean dishes. If you go to, shoot, the Druid place, the Moonglade. Moonglade? Is that what it's called? I don't know. Anyway, if you're a Druid and you go there, you can buy a bunch of Korean stuff. And, uh, yeah, yeah, just kind of not a great take. So it was cute 15 years ago, but it's, it's kind of lost its luster in any event. Yes. Pathfinder two. Uh, it's, it's interesting. They've definitely simplified things that need to be simplified, but they kept that Pathfinder crunch when it comes to character options, which if you're a fan of Pathfinder, I'm sure you'd love and, or a fan of third edition, but they, uh, yeah, it's good times. I liked it. Like I said, I don't think I'd run it. I'd definitely play it though. I'd definitely play it. Pathfinder's been fun for me, but I, I don't think it focuses enough on story. It, it is crunchy. That's its deal, you know? Mm-hmm. And I get that. That's what it's trying to be, but that's not where my heart lies in terms of my gaming proclivities. Yeah, true that, true that. Have you been reading anything interesting? I got I got three more things. Do you want to like... Well, um, I started out with uh, the book that you... Well, okay, I should say I finished Valkyrie. Nice. Which was the, the the latest book in the Expeditionary Force series. Loved it. Had a great time with it. Um, continue to really enjoy the living daylights out of that series. And still recommend it if you are in the mood for some super light. And I, I highlight bold and italicize light uh, sci-fi. Uh, that being said, there's there's... And I don't know whether this is because I've been with these characters for like 11 books now or what... But um, I am distinctly having more of an emotional reaction to some of the things going on. And I think it's a combination of A, being familiar with the characters, and B, he's improving as a writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like it. And he's, he's making things have more emotional weight and more emotional uh, risk. All right. Well, I, I put this on our Facebook group. Uh, I got my hands on a copy of Terry Jones's uh only book that I could find uh, called uh, Chaucer's Night, which is a weird, weird book. <laughs> so do you know anything about it? No, not a thing. Okay. So in scholarly literature, apparently at the time, because this book was written in the mid-1970s, it was assumed that the knight character in the Canterbury Tales was a heroic figure, a representative of the chivalric, chivalry, whatever, knight of the time. And Terry Jones says, no, Chaucer was a comedian. This was satire, and here's why. And it's a very, very, very detailed breakdown of, A, what a knight was at the time, um, B, why very specific things that he says about the knight 
are obviously untrue to a person of that time. Like when he says that they're a great person, he, he, he's air quoting a lot and, and somebody alive at the time would get that. Whereas us now with our sort of like romanticized views with our romanticized vision of medieval times would just sort of take that at face value because it sort of fits our romantic notion of what a knight is. It's a little dry. Um, it's sad though. Cause I can hear his voice when I read it. Like I can totally hear Terry Jones talking and it just, it just every so often I just stop and I get, a, I get a little emotional cause it's like, Oh man, that guy was great. And, um, it's quite an interesting work. I, I've been skimming parts because he really gets into the weeds about stuff. <laughs> but uh, I've been having a good time. It reads like kind of a his his chapter on knights in medieval lives is basically the the highlight reel of that entire book because he brings up a lot of the same stuff. Except you know medieval lives that's like 30 40 pages of really you know boom 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 like zippy stuff. This is 250 pages of notated and cited and scholarly detail on history and whatnot. So it's a little dry, <laughs> but it's That's good. Times. Okay. It's good times. Nonetheless. Uh, so do you go, want me to go or do you want to go through all your go? Yeah, we're going back and forth, man. We are ping ponging this. We are playing a game over time and space. Cause we can't talk in person because social distance. That's right. <laughs> and in our case, physical distance. Cause that's true. 1800 miles seems a might, might much for a commute. Uh, we were both talking that 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 April visit's starting to look a little dicey. <laughs> it's yeah, that, we'll just dicey. make it a May visit. Okay. Uh, so I started reading Circe, as promised. Uh, I made it my next book. How how are you digging it? Uh, I mean, I've, I've sent you several texts. I am yes. enamored with it, very much so. I think she's not only a fabulous writer, but, I mean, uh, the author's descriptions are delectable. I mean, I don't know any other way to put it. I mean, just er, er, her use of language is just delicious. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really dug her. I liked um, that. That whole book really runs the gamut from Cersei's point of view, like running around the halls of the gods, uh, to her just you know being trapped on a, a very, very mortal island for a very long time. I don't know where you are in that, but um, yeah. It's- um, uh, spoiler alert: uh, Daedalus just made his exit. Ah, okay. Permanently. So, so yeah, you, you, she's on the island now. Okay, good. She's back to the um, island. She's back to the island. Okay, good. She's on the island. She left the island. Now she's back. Now she's back. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, the Halls of the Gods is, like, mythic and crazy, and, and then life on this island is dull and very, very mortal <laughs> and very, very drudgery. And, and both sides, she does a really good job of, you know, really making you feel like the island. And, and yeah. What and, does that say about me that I, I, I don't look at the island that way. I actually look at the island as a paradise because that speaks more to my personality type. Hey man, I, I am currently on day three or four of my social distancing. And even though I am an introvert and I kind of feel a little guilty, sort of like really indulging in my introverted, you know, like things I'm starting to get a little stir crazy. Like, like if, if this had been a normal week, I would have left the house, but I haven't. And my wife is in here now searching, searching, always looking. Are you Randy Newman? Look at the baby. <laughs> look at the baby. Wife looking in the bathroom. Did she find it? Nope. Looking on the floor, asking her husband. I don't know where the iPad is. Wait a minute. Yes, I do. I gave it to the son downstairs because he wanted to use it on the potty pooping. 
That's where the iPad is. I don't know what's happening right now. But I'm <laughs> she asked me if I was Randy Newman. There's a bit from an episode of Family Guy. Yes, where Randy I Newman remember narrates. that one clearly. Yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> spit an image, spit an image. Anyway, we're talking about the island. <laughs> it's it's a good book. Like I I've never I tried to read the Odyssey after that. I really want to find like a more novelized version than somebody like making the poem. I think it, the poem is just hard for me to read. I don't know why. I maybe I'm too American or something. But yeah, yeah, I you're want, too American. It's beautiful. It's perfect n- in every way. No, well, no, I found I found a very lovely translation of it. I just couldn't. I couldn't get into it for some reason. I don't know why. I almost want her to just write it. Being American. There you go. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. I, I, it, I am it, very much so. I it, am, it's really uh, giving me ideas for Theros, to be honest with you, like running a Theros game where the gods so metal. My, my biggest problem is I was taking the book to work with me and I would take a break every day and, and read um, at lunchtime. And unfortunately, as I'm now trapped in my home, uh, when I'm not eating lunch, I am giving my wife a tiny break on children and coming out from the office to help. And so my reading has slowed dramatically. Yeah, yeah, truth. You just got to find your new reading time, the work-at-home reading time. Uh, I might have to just hide in the office and pretend I'm still working. Having your children watch you read as an adult, it uh, it's good for them. I try to remember that too. But yeah, not not on your device all day with a physical book so they know you're enriching your mind. It, it says things. Just saying. I, I'm a friggin' hypocrite because I do not do that enough, but... Maybe we should make the You don't have to sell me on it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I started reading Ornament of the World, but I got Chaucer's Knight, so I had to put that down because I only thought I was going to have Chaucer's Knight for two weeks, but now they've extended everything forever So because everything's closed, so it don't matter. But uh, Ornament of the World is interesting. My blind spots of uh, Spain, Iberian uh, history has been uh, narrowed a little bit, and it's kind of interesting. What White Wolf in their Ars Magica supplement said about medieval Spain still kind of holds true. Like, Spain is one of those places that a lot of people tend to forget about until they don't and decide to conquer it. And yeah, that's that's kind of how it rolls. Anyway, Jonathan, what, do you, what what's, what's your second to last or last book? Because I got one last thing, and it's been very exciting. Oh, well, we uh, uh, the, my last thing is we have an informal book club at work, uh, a bunch of us talking about what we're reading at any given time. And, uh, so we're currently reading console wars, mm. which I have read in the past, but I understand that it's a, a new version. It's been several years since I read it. So I'm, uh, rereading it and, uh, yeah, I'd forgotten what a lovely read it is. It is what, what console generation is it about? Or is it about all of them? Uh, well, it starts off in the 16 bit generation. And so right now I am, uh, at the point where the Genesis is out and uh, they're switching to uh, the CEO of Sega during that, or Sega of America during that time, uh, whose name escapes me right now. But he's the one that you would remember from that time period. I want to say Phil, but it's not Phil. Phil Spector? No, not Phil Spector. I'm not talking oh, about okay. a wall of sound. Oh, Phil Spector. <laughs> Hold on. No, uh, it, it, it's. Right now, the book is centered around Tom Kalinske. Um, he had been with, with uh, is it Hasbro that does Barbie or Mattel? Mattel. Yeah. So he had been with Mattel, and then he went and ran Matchbox for a while. And then um, 
went over and ran Sega of America and helped to launch the Genesis and basically took Sega from like a $1 million a year business to like a $15 million a year business or something like that. It was some rapid, crazy growth. So where, how, how far does it go? Does it go through the cube, through the Wii? Like, how far up are we talking here? Uh, well, okay, the, the original version that I read, and this was from, I think it was 14 when it first came out, so it's been a few years. I think it went through um, N64 slash Saturn slash PlayStation slash Dreamcast. Okay, cool. I like it. So it's it's basically that, that late 80s through the 90s into the early 2000s time period. Which was a very interesting time in the video game world. I mean, it was extremely chaotic. I, I should read that. All right, my last thing. So, Jonathan, uh, what have I been excited about? Well, I've been excited about a lot of things. I'll have to narrow it. But if I narrow it down, it'll give it away. All right, I'll just tell you. Uh, you know how I've been, like, just, just frothing at the mouth about Delta Green and Possible Landscapes, the King and Yellow book for the uh, the game? Uh-huh, uh-huh. They released the final edit of the manuscript with no art to the backers uh, the other day. So I have been reading it, and it is glorious, Jonathan. It is so weird, and I love it. Weird in all the right ways? Yeah, I've been texting you a bit about it. Like, So I'm kind of over Cthulhu. I'm over the you know space, the, sea, the tentacled sea monsters from space. You know, yeah. like, it's it's... It's getting old. There's way too many video games and mass media. But, man, the Yellow King is just this untapped well of weirdness. And I, I sent you the examples in the book of what the difference between surreal horror and, like, cosmic horror is, you know? And uh, my favorite is uh, cosmic horror is you're dangling over a cliff, and at the bottom of the cliff is a tentacled monster reaching up t- to you. Uh, surreal horror is you're dangling over a cliff and there is a tentacled monster and the tentacles are reaching up to you and all the tentacles end with your mom's face. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that's how that book is. It's, uh, they list the primary sort of like inspirations as Jacob's ladder, the ninth configuration. There's another one that I always forget because I can't remember it. And, uh, the shiny Jacob's ladder is creepy still to this day, still creepy. Yeah, but it's just that thing where you can open a door and anything can be on the other side. And, you know, your sane and insane can switch places and madness and all of that. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a really good book. It's a really good book. My wife brought me in food that I was talking about earlier. Or maybe that got cut out. I'm not sure. But Thank you for giving me the children's leftovers. I appreciate that. That's just love right there. That's just good social distancing. Anyway, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's marvelous. Uh, the book, they wanted it to be like 160 pages, maybe 190. Uh, the manuscript I'm reading is currently sitting at 333. Wow. Oops. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot <laughs> of stuff to go through in that book. A lot of a lot of things. So if, if you're interested in it way, way back when Delta Green did their original run, uh, they did a book called Countdown, which was their second release. And there's an adventure in the back of it called The Night Floors. And Impossible Landscapes is like the sequel to that in a way. They reprint The Night Floors. So The Night Floors takes place in 1995 and your investigators investigate it. And then you flash forward to the year 2015, like, you know, true detective style. And your investigators go in for round two of, you know, the weirdness. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be it's been an interesting re- read so far. It's been very just been very strange, but not like not like a 
tentacled space sea monster strange, but like a, this was just creepy and the vibe is all just like, Ugh. <laughs> so I've been enjoying and I'm very excited. I will report back cause I have, I have to read that more. All right. Well then let's move on. Shall we talk about, um, video games? Uh, I have been playing nothing of note lately. Uh, a little Civ Six, but I'm getting a little bored of it. I mean, that weird zone, you know that zone, where you've played a bunch of games to death and you kind of want something new, but like nothing's jumping out at you. So you just sort yeah, of... Yeah, I call that Q1 through 2. Yeah, I don't we'll know. We'll get some I'm, stuff over the summer, hopefully. Well, I, I I don't typically buy a lot of like new games. Like Nothing's exciting me. I played the demo for Final Fantasy VII and just kind of figured out it's probably not a game for me. Cause yeah, that's what you were saying last episode. Yeah, so I just, I don't know what I want, you know? I'm just kind of like, eh. Uh, I, I've been trolling through the demos on the PlayStation Store, and there's a couple of role-playing games I've been wanting to try that aren't at the library, so that's nice. Um, so I just need to give those a, a go. I've got Shining Residence Refrain, which is part of, like, the uh, Shining Force, Shining the Holy Ark, that series. Oh, those are great. I, yeah. I, I like the original ones. Yeah, so we'll see how this one pairs out. I haven't actually played it. and then, Man, uh, I played another- the Daylights out of Shining Force back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Anyway, but yeah, and you know what? If I if I keep getting bored like this, I I got like a, a SNES classic I've barely touched, so I should I should probably dig into that a little bit, play some Earthbound or something. But yeah, that's my video games. What have you been doing? Uh, more Apex. More Apex. Uh, we're knee deep in season four now. I got into a new MMO RPG that was released on the Xbox. It's called Bless Unleashed. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. It's got a really, really cool combo system. I'm really enjoying the way you interact with it, but man, is it not optimized. I, I see where they're trying to take it, and I could be really, really nifty, um, but it's in its infancy, and it just needs a little bit of love. Yeah, that's the problem with MMOs. Like, a lot of them... I, I, I backed this one MMO on Kickstarter so long ago. Um, it's, it's absurd. Um, it's called uh, Crowfall? Crowfall. And it's still not out, you know? Because they're taking the time to get it, like, just so. But, like, most most companies don't have the pockets to pull that off, you know? Like, they just have to release at some point and just sort of refine as the game is played live. Well, I've, I've got high hopes. This is uh, backed by Bandai Namco, so I think that in the long run it will get the love that it deserves. It's just, you know, it, it's a relatively new title, and I think it just needs a little bit of time to, to mature. I'll I'll say this. I'm having enough fun with it that I'm continuing to play it. Well, there you go. That's all you really need. It's it's is it freemium or? It's freemium. So I haven't put a dollar into it yet. I want to see where it goes first. I want to see if it's worth any kind of investment. But I can see myself with with very few changes continuing to play this for a while. Well, cool. Keep us updated. Uh, beyond that, Call of Duty pl- released their new uh, game mode, Warzone. I saw that. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's Call of Duty. Not 100% sure what that means right now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a giant version of Call of Duty, right? Like, it's... it's yeah, it's, it's the PUBG of, of Call of Duty. Yeah. And that comes with some good and some bad. I mean, some of the good is that the, the map is huge and there's lots of variation to it. And in that respect, I like it better than a lot of other uh, games of this style, the Battle Royale style, because there's a lot of variation to the map. But that being said, there's also a, a lot of blandness to it. So it, it can be difficult to navigate at times because everything kind of looks the same. I don't know. I like that you can hop in a Jeep and tool around or a chopper or an ATV. Uh, I was driving around in a big old deuce and a half uh, with my buddy. And then all of a sudden we got hit by an RPG. 
that was genuinely exciting moment in the game. Uh, you know, kind of same thing. It's a brand new game mode, and so it, it it's it's free. It's it's free too. Like I saw them advertising. Yeah, it. Like you can I, play it for free, or you or, or you have access to it on the on the Call of Duty, the yeah. main game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's what? I'll, I'll say one thing that's really neat. The ga- the guns that are are scattered around the environment are very very basic. But if you are a player of the game and you have custom kits, uh, you can purchase not with real money but with in game money. You can purchase a drop to come to your rescue in the middle of a match because one of the gameplay mechanics is as you run around you're picking up money to buy upgrades during the match and uh if you purchase it it's a, a loot crate that comes down and it has your specific kit from the multiplayer game in it mm, intriguing you know tuned inspect the way you like it and that that's it that that's really made it interesting because i spent a lot of time kind of tuning my kits i wonder what that does if you don't have that um you're still you can still be very effective no, I mean, like, you you can't do that call down unless you own the game and play in the multiplayer, though, right? Uh, you, you can do some customization. Some. But you have access to a lot more parts and a lot more uh, weapon stuff if you have the main game, I think. And I say I think because I really haven't dug into it that much. All right, Robert. Well, let's let's move on into television. What have you been watching lately? I've been watching a lot of stuff. Been getting caught up with the kids. Uh, although I see something on your list I want to talk about. So I've been watching Picard, and you're a fool for not watching Picard, and I will leave it I'm at that. I'm not a fool. Suck. I'm just waiting until I get the opportunity. Uh-huh. Uh, so because I'm a child of the 80s and watching inappropriate movies and struggling with what I can actually show my eight-year-old. I have been struggling against that as well. Uh, she has a real hard crush for Mike on Stranger Things, so she is kind of excited about the new Ghostbusters movie, but she's only seen the 2016 one. She didn't get how they lined up, so I showed her the original Ghostbusters. And, uh, yeah, movie holds up pretty well, except for Walter Peck being an employee of the EPA (laughs) as the villain. Yeah, I think we were talking about that earlier. Uh, That is definitely a function of the time. Uh, I watched the movie version of Ornament of the World, which was a documentary that PBS did, uh, which you can stream on the PBS app if you are a member and give them money. But we don't do such things, so I had to rent it from my library, which is why libraries are great. That one, if you need a crash course on Iberian history, that is what you watch. It is 90 minutes. It gives you pretty much everything you need. Uh, it, Much like the book, it sort of glosses over the actual factual invasion of you know medieval Spain by the Bedouin uh, Muslim tribes to the south. Uh, it kind of just doesn't deal with that overly much. Uh, so the documentary picks up basically about 100 years into that. But it's... Uh, it's a real interesting story about, you know, the guy who ended up running that place and how he ended up running that place. And yeah. And, and yeah, just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good his, historical stuff. And I'm like, how, how has a D and D game not been set in this area? It'd be fantastic. It'd be fantastic. I wish I had done more research before I started my current D and D game, because I would have, um, since, since my D and D game is fantasy Spain in the Oregon climate, because I'm weird and this game's kind of anachronistic. Uh, I, I would have started with the, uh, the Al Andalus period having already started, uh, you know, and ha- how the, the local empire has already been taken over, but oh well, I, I didn't do that. So I forgot to bring it up last time we played my role-playing game, but yes, that has begun. The, the, the people from the South are starting to poke their way into uh, Southern Izmir uh, <laughs> in my game. So yes, looking forward to that. But yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Good flick, good flick. And then uh, I'm happy to report that Steven Universe Future was not wrapped up like I feared it was. They have 10 new episodes, which is less than it sounds because the episodes are 15 minutes each and they show two a night. So it's more like five new episodes. But they're doing five more episodes to sort of put a bow on the show. Were they always that uh, short? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it, every episode of Steven Universe is two 15-minute episodes, and occasionally they'll have one that stretches the whole 30 minutes, but it, those were rarer than most. So, yeah, it's more like two, two short stories crammed together. Man, that show is deep. That show is deep for a kid's yeah, show. Yeah, you and I had a, a conversation earlier, and you're not the first person to tell me about how deep that show is. Yeah, yeah. So what I really like about it is this season is dealing with the whole notion of, like, like a lot of fiction we read and whatnot is really obsessed with the quest, you know, and like destroying the ring and doing the thing. And for Steven Universe, it was about a little boy who saved the world, you know, saved the universe. And not a lot of media like looks at what happened after. I mean, I guess Peter Jackson did in that half hour, like denouement at the <laughs> Return of the King, which everybody hated. But, you know, like th- that stuff matters, you know, like what happens after that stuff matters and what happens to those people and and much like Frodo, actually, Stephen is dealing with, like, straight-up PTSD that they are talking about. And one of the most, like, poignant things I've ever heard in the media in general, and not even on a kid's TV show, is um, Stephen basically goes to the doctor in this one episode, and she tells him, you know, you had, you know, you were saving the world as a boy, and now because of that, because your life was literally in danger... Uh, when you were a kid, now any problem you have, uh, it, your body reacts like you are in a fight for your life, and you know, and and you you've got to like deal with that. Like your your physical scars may have healed, but that's that's not everything. And so Stephen's really upset, and his dad comes to talk to him, and he says the line, "I don't know how to live if every time something happens, I feel like I'm going to die." And it was it was just like whoa, that's, like that's heavy, man. <laughs> yeah, it was it. Yeah, it, it's a good show. I think it's all streaming on Hulu. I'm not sure about Steven Universe Future at this point, but I know the original show is, and it's it's real good. You know, they they hide much like good science fiction everywhere. They hide a lot of like what it means to be human embedded within a kids TV show, and it's really nice because like the the magical space rocks. They do a thing called fusion where two individual magical space rocks they're they're kind of robots it's it's hard to describe they have human bodies though they can do this thing called fusion where you take like like there's a uh there's a character named amethyst and if you take amethyst who normally is the short little lady with a whip and is kind of feisty and then there's another one named pearl who's very kind of prissy and clean and very detail oriented um and she has a spear um, as her weapon, because there's weapons, because of course there are. Uh, if they fuse, they become a new individual named, is it Opal? I forget who their fusion is, but she is much taller. She has four arms, and the whip and the spear kind of combine into a bow and arrow. And in the show, they talk about it as they have like this distinct other personality when they fuse together. And, you know, all that is like, you know, science fiction mumbo jumbo aside. How the show deals with it is anytime fusion comes up in the context of the show, it really, really goes into issues of consent and how to give consent and how to upkeep your consent and how to be a good person seeking consent to be very, you know, basically intimate with another person. And this is all hidden under, you know, this like, you know, 
arm waving prestige magician act of these magical space rocks, you know, merging together to form like, you know, Voltron characters, I guess. You know what I mean? It's a, it, there's like a lot of layers to the show. It's, it's always been that way. It's great. And this season's been great. Cause it's like, you know, a boy who starts off as this goofy kid. And by the end of it, believably becomes like a leader of a group of rebels, you know, and then the war's over. Like, like he saved the world literally in that show. Like what happens to this boy after that? And he becomes like an older kid. He's, I think he's like 16 in the show and he's just kind of fundamentally broken inside and he's having a real hard time dealing with it. And, and it's, it's, it's deep, it's heavy and, and, you know, you feel it. And it's cause you've, like you're talking about with, uh, with your book, it's just cause you've been spending so much time with these characters, like what they're saying, like holds a lot of weight because you've, yeah. you've seen this stuff happen to them. So it, it's a really good show. I would highly suggest it. There's a lot of good avenues to talk to your kids about things, especially your younger kids, uh, to give them a language that you both would understand for problems that they're probably not really going to be dealing with for a few years, hopefully. <laughs> but it'll 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 put seeds in their brain that you can you know pull out later uh, when you need to talk about consent and and you know toxic relationships and and stuff like that. Oh, we have already had to have several of those conversations. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. So grand having children already. Hitting puberty and asking difficult questions. Yeah, yeah, no, but trust me, man. Like, ha- sh- show that to Lincoln and Sophia. Like, they'll get a kick out of it because to them, it's just the magical space rock show and and the, the funny boy. But like, there there are things that you can reference directly from that show when they're older because because it's written that way. That's cool. Yeah, it's really good. Like, seriously, it's it's a good show to show your kids. That's TV. I'm done. Well, that's cool. Uh, I watched a couple of movies. Uh, first of all, I watched Midway based on the World War II battle. And for everything it gets right, it gets several things wrong. I won't call it a good movie. I also won't call it a bad movie. It's a Roland Emmerich World War II movie, and that comes with pros and cons. Uh, That being said, um, some of the stuff that they do do correctly is uh, when the big ships uh, spot dive bombers and, and, and carpet bombers in general you'll see them start making these mad swings to the right and left as they try and throw off the trajectory of the bombs and the bombers. And that's kind of neat to see on shit on, on screen because people aren't used to seeing something that big, uh, you know, frantically scrambling for its life. (laughs) That's cool. You know, a lot of what they show is really interesting and really neat. It's funny because the stuff that feels the most Hollywood in terms of things that are happening, uh, like an incident where a, a plane clips an aircraft carrier almost hitting it um, and basically shears the tail off of a, a plane that one of the deck, uh, or pardon me, one of the, not the seamen, but one of the, the uh, one of the enlisted men hopped in and just started frantically firing the machine gun at this thing as it came in. That, that it, nothing sounds more Hollywood than what I just described. And yet it's an actual true story. It actually happened and it is a legitimate thing i just find it fascinating that the, the, the most hollywood thing in it is actually real and they, they showed it the acting's kind of all over the place I, I can't say that i was fond of the casting decisions that they made and i don't know it deserved a better cast some of the effects are the really word you're looking for is you feel ambivalent about it as i just learned on daniel tiger's neighborhood and there you go i do feel ambivalent about it that is a good word to describe <laughs> I mean, I'll watch it again. It, I'm glad I've got it as part of my collection of World War II movies. Nice. 
All right, I, I really want to talk about the other one. How is Knives Out? I've been fascinated by this movie. No spoilers. Knives Out was really fun, really good. And it, to me, it just solidifies what I like most about Ryan Johnson. I mean, he's just a great director and a great storyteller. I'm one of the people that actually really liked Episode 8. Yeah, you, are, uh, also, you, you are not merely one of them. A lot of people liked Episode 8, despite what the internet says. Yeah, and I'm also one of the people that really enjoyed Looper. I thought Looper was a fascinating time travel tale. And yeah, this just I mean, he's he's an excellent writer and he's an excellent filmmaker and I really enjoy what he does. And Knives Out was was interesting, especially because it's not a standard murder mystery take. And I don't mean this from a, you know, M. Night Shyamalan perspective. There's a, a twist to the way the plot is constructed in that it's the, the tale that I've known the most about uh, as I go through the movie and yet realize that I still didn't have near the complete picture it's interesting having a murder mystery that that tells you so much ahead of time and still manages to be full of surprises. I, I am in the queue for that in the library, but much like all life, that is paused at the moment. So we will see when I get it, but I can't wait to talk to you about it. That reminds me, we're supposed to have a spoiler-filled discussion of Star Wars, but we never did that, and we do not have time for it today. But we need to put that on the agenda. Actually, I have a very good slot for it. We will get to that in a sec, so... Well, we could talk about it now. Since everything is on pause, if things get paused longer than I have Bond movies available, we we may just do that for no time to Bond. <laughs> Worst case scenario, I might just rent Bond movies for you if, if it's only a couple bucks. I'll handle. <clears throat> no, we can we can we can do this as a filler for. One. I want to keep it trucking, homie. Well, no, I want to keep it trucking too, and I, I've got the next one. I, I I went and got that, but I, I couldn't find the man with the golden gun, even though they said they had it. And yeah, I'm just yeah. So unfortunately, I can't get my hands on that. But we, I got the next one. So, like I said, it, it'll be it, it, we we can fill it in there. It'll be good. And then and then it, I I will gladly take your offer if if things last longer than that because that'll be over a month from now and and things will be we'll have much bigger fish to fry <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm I'm literally done. So let's shotgun through board games and do our bond segment. All right. Uh, in terms of board games, not a whole lot to talk about. Because um, you've been practicing been- good social distancing, right? That, yes, unfortunately. Uh, I've played uh, a lot of Flamme Rouge around the house uh, recently in preparation for today's deep dive, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. You mean Flame Rogue? Yes, sure. Whatever toots your horn. <laughs> well, that's what it, it's really, it's literally lit, written here as Flame, a flame Rogue. It's Flame Rogue. <laughs> oh, I forgot the M in Flamme. Yeah, Did and I? you forgot the, you forgot the, the Rouge in Rogue. <laughs> Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, you know what? I wonder if it spell-checked it. <laughs> I bet it did. I bet it did. Uh, anyway, the other day I opened up my door, and waiting for me was a big box of Starcadia Quest. Nice. So I have been digging into that and having a good time with it. Uh, it's interesting. It's a streamlined Arcadia Quest, and Arcadia Quest was not very chunky in terms of rules to begin with. So I'm, I'm, it's super quick, super fun. I'm having a really good time with it. Uh, and then I've been playing the living daylights out of the Oni rim game on my phone. There you go. I've got something like 200 rounds done and I have a 41% win rate. Good. Good on you. Is that good? I don't know. I have no idea. I have nothing to compare that against. Well, there you go. Good talk. Yeah. So those are my board games. I'll talk more about Starcadia quest in the future. I really want to have a long discussion about it. Um, I think that will be a deep dive. Uh, in the future, and I won't really can't wait to talk more about Flamme Rouge, but that'll be later this episode. So, Bob's your uncle. Well, I think Robert, that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment, does it not? Yes. 
All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our first segment, which means it's break time. And when we return, and when we return from a short break, it'll be time for our wisdom of crowd segment. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our Wisdom of Crowds segment. This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all of the news in tabletop. While there is some, there's not a ton. BS. This year's, year's going to be weird. Nah, no, nah, I got, I got, no, uh, tune back next time. We're going to have a new bout of no news <laughs> coming up pretty soon. But but basically, we've had some stuff slip in, you know, kind of on the, uh, the opening rounds of... Uh, social distancing here so yeah well gamma just happened yeah gamma did just i'm surprised gamma happened considering how everybody canceled everything all right well we talked about some big changes to fantasy flight and asthma day north america last week and those changes continue uh i don't know if you remember that a bunch of their uh role-playing employees had been recently hey jonathan yeah jonathan hold on hold on one second there do you do you hear that because i heard it I heard you reach in and steal my second story right now. That's not my fault. No, that is I'm your the, fault. I'm the one that came prepared with news, not you. That is your fault because I am doing this under duress. You, sir, want to talk about the Dune RPG and instead you steal my thunder? <laughs> you, you reach into my house, the role-playing house, to talk about Edge Entertainment? Is that where you're going with this? Yes, all right. Well, I introduced it, so you take it from here. No, no. You par- I, I already deleted it. I don't know what's going on. It's gone. It's <laughs> off my radar. Well, it turns out that Fantasy Flight has sold um, their big RPG lines, specifically the Star Wars RPG, the uh, it was Lord of the Five Rings RPG, and the Genesis system, and sold them. Wow, to- and, and you're screwing it up. Okay, Jonathan, step aside. I tried to step hand aside. it to you. Let it, let a professional, you, you know, what, you had to let thing, a little pride get You're in doing the way. this thing that, that I was learning about in, in a, a parenting thing where, you know, if your kid wants you to draw something all the time, you start drawing stuff with your off hand. So it sucks and it forces them to do it. See, that's what you were doing. Cause I, I see your game. I see, I see the bait. I just want you to know. I see the bait. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, but I want you to know. I know, I know what you're doing. No, Jonathan. See, this is all an Asmodee thing. Asmodee has owned Edge Productions for a very long time. They are a Spanish company, and they have risen to fame in their native Spain, Iberia. See, everything gets circular. Everything comes back around because Iberia, the Iberian Peninsula is badass. Um, they mainly translate books into Spanish over in Spain. Uh, that's their main claim to fame. So they are not selling. There's nothing to sell. Asmodee is one big happy family. The Star Wars line and the Genesis role-playing game and Legend of the Five Rings are being transferred over to Edge Entertainment, and that is where their new home will be and where future content will come from. They do not own the Lord of the Rings license in, unless you steal that from me. I'm going to cover Lord that of the myself. Rings. I said Legend you of the said Five Lord of the, Rings. You said Lord of the Rings, sir. No, I meant Legend you of the said, Five Rings. You sure well, whatever. Legend of the Five Rings, though. I, you know what? You know what? We're going to stop right here. I'm going to do some editing magic, and I'm going to have you repeat what you just said right now, and we'll see who's right and who's wrong. 
and uh, and we'll just move on. Okay. Do we need to record two responses? One where you say I'm an asshole, and one where I say he was right. No, no, because I'm so sure. Yeah, about right. This. We won't need them. I'll just say I'm. We right. won't need them. No, no, you're 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 so not right. Apology and here's the accepted, thing. Robert. With, with, with the the COVID apocalypse coming up, I don't think anybody will care necessarily one way or another in two weeks anyway. When we come back to this, and I and and actually, you know what? You know what? I'm more sure of. I am so positive that you won't remember this in two weeks at all, because your memory is like a sieve. You know who you are? You are Deanna. Tr- who who had the straw on their head with the with the the cellular peptide cake with mint frosting? What? Remember that episode of TNG where where Data was seeing people and and uh, people and somebody was drinking out of somebody's head? That that is your children. They are drinking the intelligence out of your head. Unlike mine, apparently, because I'm I'm wicked sharp right now, and I'm just rambling. But you're still wrong, and I just want you to know that. Anyway, yes, I've covered the story. Editing Robert here. Turns out we were both wrong, but I'll let you hear that for yourself. Enjoy the show after the clip. It was Lord of the Five Rings RPG and the Genesis system and sold them to Edge. Edge Productions, new home for all the Fantasy Flight and I guess by default Asmodee RPGs. I don't know if they have any more, come to think of it. Do they? No, I think they moved everything. Yeah, no, but I'm like wondering, do any of their other companies in their umbrella like do RPGs and I can't no. think of one. No, I don't think so. I think everything was Fantasy Flight before. Honestly, with the the amount of Star Wars books there are, I don't know if we I, I don't know what else they have to say. Although they're doing that like New Republic thing, I guess. So uh I guess there could be that. But I'm glad L5R got a home. L5R L5R man. <laughs> that game, man. That game. That just that that need to have a home. It can't, it couldn't go away again. And Genesis. Actually Genesis was really good too. I like Genesis. Genesis is excellent. I'm a big fan of the system, and I think it is probably the easiest system to build a homebrew in. I would say Fate, but I, I will I will give that to you. Genesis is pretty good. Genesis is a little bit more crunchy than Fate, so that that may be better for people. Yeah, I think it just gives you it gives you a little something to put your teeth into. Yeah, yeah, agree, agree. All right, well, since uh, we comboed that one, how about I move on to one that I'm super excited about because it's Dune Watch, baby, Dune Watch 2020. So, Jonathan. No reason to worry about Dune getting delayed because everything is in special effects. Shooting is done and the release date is until December. So don't you even come at me that way. Don't do not do me dirty, Robert. When, when do you want me to, like, steal your base or steal your thunder or whatever? Because I got something I can steal your thunder on this, but I can wait. Go on. Tell me when you're ready. Now you got me scared. Why have me scared? Because. <laughs> I don't care. I'm you, going in. Modifius go, Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Home of the, the 2D20 system, uh, which has a fancy name, right? I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't remember it either. It had, I don't know. It's got a fancy name, I'm sure. Anyway, their 2D20 system, uh, which uh, powers things. No, like that, that is the name. It's Modifius's 2D20 system. Okay. Uh, it powers games like Star Trek Adventures and Waste, uh, Fallout Wasteland Warfare uh, and the Dishonored, uh, the upcoming Dishonored RPG and the Homeworld uh, RPG, if you're a f- fan of that video game, um, <laughs> is going to be handling the Dune RPG coming later this year. Now, I'll tell you what, um, I, I, I know you're a fan of political RPGs, looking at you, 7th C, so I can't think of a better, more political uh, you know, universe to set an RPG in than Dune. So, do you want me to steal your thunder? Uh, do you want to talk about the list of authors that is going to be a part of it? In true Portland fashion, 
I am totally Facebook besties with a Mr. Simon Berman who is doing some of the writing on that book, and you aren't. <gasps> can you please see if we can get him on the show to talk about it? Uh, I could ask him. He, 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 runs, uh, he runs the, the Painter's Brush League and stuff like that, so I don't know if you'll have the time, but I could certainly ask him. Well, let's try. I've never actually spoken to him in person, but we are totally Facebook besties. <laughs> well, this isn't the month that's going to start. <laughs> that's true. And he, according to his Facebook updates, is practicing good social distancing. So maybe he will have the time. So I, I'll ask. Why not? Never hurts to ask. So there you go. Who else is writing it? Nobody you know on Facebook that are besties with, though, I'm sure. Uh, Khaldun Khalil. He actually has a really interesting background. Have you ever read about him? No. Uh, he's an um, Arab-American of Palestinian descent, and he has been working in the oil industry, counterintelligence, and political consulting. His day job is currently an energy and security scholar, but he's also been writing for the Vampire the Masquerade franchise since 1999. I mean, the guy is in counterintelligence and political consulting. Like, what better person to write for the Dune RPG? Mm-hmm. Maybe a guy who's written for Eclipse Phase and the Iron Kingdoms and, uh, you know, Wormer Hordes and whatnot. Mr. Simon Berman, besties, Facebook besties. That's how me. about How about Chris Spivy? Mm-hmm. He's a military veteran. Mm-hmm. And you would know him most recently from Harlem Unbound, which we've talked yeah, about extensively I, on this show. Yeah, the second edition of that is still not out, and I want it. One of the writers from uh, Star Trek Adventures, uh, Nathan Dowell, is on board. Mm-hmm. Um, so many, are you going to go over this whole list? Because there, there's a metric ton of people. There are a metric ton of writers. Needless to say, when you look at the list of writers, it is diverse, uh, both in the worlds that these people have written for uh, previously, as well as the backgrounds of these people, uh, both from a social standpoint and a work standpoint. So I am really genuinely excited. I think this is going to be an interesting, interesting project. Uh, I, I sent this out to you, but I thought it bared repeating based off of uh, our love of the game. The Alien RPG broke into the top five of highest selling RPGs I according to ICV2. Yes. yes. And considering I think its release date was like mid-December, it had to have moved some product in that yeah, time. That, to get. I think that's what I told you, considering how late in the year that got released. That's a, amazing. Yeah, this was quarter four. So this was just, you know, October, November, December. But considering it was like halfway through December <laughs> when it got released, it had to have moved some product. Uh, and and just uh, just for FYI, people's information, the top five uh, of Q4 2019 was D&D, Pathfinder, Shadowrun, Star Wars by FFG, and the Alien RPG and rounding out the fifth, which is typical. <laughs> But anyway, that's it. Alien RPG, top five of uh, Q4 2019. Yeah, good stuff. And and you know what? It deserves it. And yeah, it it's does. really hard to find right now because I think it might have sold through its entire allotment. That would not be shocking. I'm glad I bought it when I did. You and me both. What an amazing book that is. I mean, literally, just one of the best RPG books I think I've ever read. Yeah, uh, my buddy listened to that episode and messages me. It's like, so you guys like the Alien RPG, huh? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Yeah. The Op has announced a new worker placement game, uh, and it is based in the Harry Potter universe. It is Harry Potter, the House Cup competition. Uh, House Cup. House Cup. Oh, that's the points, right? 50 oh. points to Gryffindor. That's the House Cup, right? Is that the House Cup? 
Uh, I think so, yes. I have not... I'm not either. Not read Harry... Not or is that Quidditch? I tried reading the first one, and it did not engage me. I well, that's because you were too old. No, you were too old at the time. I was too old at the time. I just had a deep and abiding love of fantasy. Uh, Which at the so time, you probably did not. Players in training workers to attend those familiar classes uh, that all Harry Potter fans learn to love. Charm. Charms, potions, and defense against the dark arts, as well as others. So yeah, it's like they're going to class and scoring points. Anyway, it's a worker placement game, uh, which is really neat. Uh, it's neat to see uh, the op making original games with their licensed IPs. Okay, I don't know if we report on this because it was during our weird news stuff with Ray and everybody here. Uh, Cubicle 7 lost the One Ring RPG uh, not all that long ago. They said they were blowing everything out and yada, yada, yada. Well, that news has matured. They recently announced, uh, so basically like a company, uh, I forget the company's name, but they own the RPG license to Lord of the Rings. And basically they hired Cubicle 7 to make the One Ring RPG for them, but they actually own it. And so they are taking the One Ring RPG and the 5th edition conversion Adventures in Middle Earth and taking that over to the Free League. Oh, And they have announced a new edition of the One Ring and a new edition... Uh, of the Adventures of Middle Earth in their little press release. We'll see if that actually pans out or if there's just some mistranslation between Swedish and English in there. But yes, the Free League will be the new home of the One Ring RPG and Adventures in Middle Earth. That is exciting. Sophisticated Games, that's the company I was looking for. They actually own it all, but they hire other companies to produce it. And I'm spent. I'm done on news. All right. Well, I have a one more story left, and that is that uh, recently there was a Kickstarter from Foxtrot Games uh, called The Search for Planet X, and that funded. And now uh, their partner, Renegade Games, is actually bringing it to um, retail release. And nice. It'll be out in June 2020. Uh, and I'm particularly excited because this is from a friend, uh, Ben Rossett, and uh, his design partner, Matthew O'Malley, who I got a chance to meet at uh i met at pax south last year no fun and we actually had a long discussion about this game so it's neat to see it not just coming to life but also getting a retail release i like it yeah so uh it's a game about astronomy which is really neat uh you are an astronomer searching for a distant planet and there's all kinds of different objects in the solar system and they they all basically rely on predetermined logic rules and you have to use the locations of these objects to n- help you narrow down the possible locations of Planet X. So, uh, fun fact, originally my shop, which we ended up calling 10th Planet, was originally going to be called Planet X. But we were a little concerned that the X part of that would get misinterpreted to adult entertainment. So we I can't imagine why, planet. Robert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a wise decision. It didn't occur to us at the time. We actually got fairly far into uh, into stuff before we realized that, or before we thought about that one, which seems foolish in retrospect, but such is the excitement of a new business. So there you go. <laughs> one last thing before we move on. Passion, or pa- let's see if I can do this in one take without prompting. I'm going to try to turn on my sexy too, because apparently I have it. You talk to Gina. Pasión de las pasiones. Much better. Yeah. See, I'm trying. Have you been practicing uh, all week? A little bit, yes. <laughs> I knew it. Well, it shows. Well done. 
just an update on that. Uh, as of the time recording, we have three days left, so it's over by the time you heard this. But uh, it looks to be on track to make uh, $35,000, which means their supplemental book with extra playbooks and uh, stuff will – and extra play sets will see print, which is exciting. Extra passion. Yes. And I, I am not even going to attempt to tackle this this thing without without being able to practice for a week and listening to, to our me. podcast. It has been two weeks since I used the sexy voice. Yeah, yeah. By the way, my wife reported. Uh, she says I don't normally pay attention to your deep dives because I usually don't care. But she listened intensely because she loved hearing that voice out of you. <laughs> it's the best. You're welcome. Tormentas del corazón. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was that was that roughly translated into torments of the heart? <laughs> That's so good! I can't wait. I'm gonna pick that up in print if they they actually make it. Yeah, torments of the heart. You really like that? Huh? Oh, that, it, it's such a soap name, man. Because because uh, the the game translates to uh, Passion of the Passions, which that's a soap opera name. That's like Days of Our Lives or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Torments of the Heart. Yeah, that's that's perfect too. Sounds like the epic miniseries of Passion of the Passions, <laughs> or like the movie version that comes out after everything wraps. You know, join us one last time <laughs> in a theater near you. Passion de las Passions. Yeah. Say it, oh God! Say you killed it again. Ah, it's gone. The, I, magic's I, gone. I, oh, the magic's gone. I overthink it. I, okay, fine. Moving on. Okay, let's bond. Let's Pasión bond. Let's bond. De las pasiones presents tormentas del corazón. <laughs> You're welcome, wife. That was for you. <laughs> Man, I need to start smoking a pack a day so I can get that, that correct <laughs> rumble there at the bottom of that register. <laughs> Maybe maybe you just every so often you just need to do a whole segment in that voice so Gina will listen to it. If you maybe you should do flame flame rogue like that because you know if you really want her to pay attention to it. Uh, I don't do a good French accent, unfortunately. Well, no, just do it in the in the sexy Spanish accent, man. I'll, I'll just get it. <laughs> I have a feeling that we're going to be deep diving uh, the the retail release of Pasión de las Pasiones. Yeah, you should kick you should kick it too, man. Join me. Get a copy and print. I can't. I can't. I, I broke down and got friggin' Marvel, <laughs> which I blame you on, you pusher. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. Gee, I, don't know I can't why imagine all. why. Because every every couple of hours, I would get a brand new screenshot of look what just got added. I don't know. It's almost like somebody uh, dirty pool, old boy. That they would uh, they would only get five Kickstarters this year because they got way more this past year when it turned out they only got three. And it, maybe I need to put my thumb on the scale a little bit to make sure I win that one. Huh, Jonathan? You're lucky I don't remember this crap because, <laughs> honestly, I just don't want to spend the money at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, expect that thumb all year because you did the dirty pool first, sir. So I, I got I to gotta course correct here. Jerk. Man, I don't even know where I'm going to put anything. My office is so full that I had to fill the hall closet with with the stuff that I need to get rid of. I need to I need to do a, a proper culling. This is just not the environmental time to be doing it. No. All right. All right. Come on. Come on. Let's move on. No time to bond. No time to bond. All right. Well, it's time once again for our no time to bond segment. This is, of course, part seven of our 27 part series 
where we are watching the 007 movies in order of release date. I should add like 007 and more, although maybe I'll start doing that when we actually <laughs> add a and more in, because now we're going to do an Austin Powers 1 at the very least. Yes, yes. So, 007 it, related films. Yeah, you know what's funny? Uh, well, okay, we'll get to that. Uh, right now, we just watched... Uh, we, we have on officially December. left the, the the 60s behind, and we are yes. now in 1971. December 14th, 1971. Diamonds are forever. Oh, this was Sean which, Connery's is, really, really, really last movie, we swear, until he agreed to do that other one later, but we'll get to that. <laughs> never say never again. Yeah, exactly. $7.2 million budget, so smaller than the last couple, and uh, it made uh, a, uh, $116 a paltry, so we're back A paltry $116 million. Yes, which is on par with the last few. They, they, they've been, they've been, well, it'll be interesting when they actually get above this number, but they've been cruising in the, the 100 teens for a long time now, which is interesting. So, where should we begin? Where do you want to start dependable, with this one? Dependable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's start at the beginning, man. Um, this is one of my most favorite Bond theme songs of all time. It's Shirley Bassey at her prime. It's everything that's right about a Bond theme song. And and the opening is really neat. I really enjoyed the opening. Yeah, I forget. I, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy, but he's the guy who does all the credit sequences until Goldeneye. And he just he just does camera chicanery and makes these weird title sequences. And I think... The man's true best work. Have you seen uh, Frank Langella's Dracula? Yes. Yeah. So Frank Langella's Dracula, for those of you who don't, haven't seen it, it's based off of a play uh, they did back in the 70s. And I think this movie, w- I think that movie was made in the mid 80s. It's faithful-ish uh, retelling of Dracula. It, it's got a, a very definite vibe in the movie. It's very dark. It's very you know, kind of gritty and, you know, down to earth, you should say. And then like out of friggin' nowhere does this, this, uh, the guy who does the bond title sequences films, the love scene between Dracula and Lucy, and it comes out of nowhere and it is just as trippy and as full of black lights and lasers as any bond sequence you can think of. And it's so out of place in this movie and yet it works. And I, this is not no time to, this is not no time to Dracula, but yeah, the man, the man really honed his craft on the, on the James Bond movies. Cause I think he did them since I want to say Goldfinger at the very least. Yeah. But, but this is, this is, I think when the technology caught up with his vision. Yeah. 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 Because starting with diamonds are forever when, or is when the, the intro sequences got really super artsy. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. And I mean, and and they they keep that going even to this day. Like all of them, I, except for I think Casino Royale. And no, Casino Royale had a pretty artsy one too. No, Casino Royale had a great one. It had the, uh, uh, yeah. the cards and the the cutouts. And yeah, stuff. it was yeah, really yeah. Neat. So I yeah, no, really liked it. Yeah, so yeah, no, it's it's a thing that they they've kept doing. Like they keep trying to make these kind of very artsy, trippy, you know, visual feasts of title sequences. But it, oh, it was my, all my favorite ones coming up. Which one's your favorite one? Not Time to Kill. Uh, Freaking hey, the, the 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 one with Roger Moore when he's down in the south and jumping over the gators. For God's sake! Oh yeah 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 yeah. I don't remember which one that is. Um, it's it's the is it Live and Let Die? Yeah, Live and Let Die. Thank you. Oh I yeah, it's the next one. It's the next one. Is it the next one? Yeah, that was I his know, first, wasn't it. it? Oh, that's exciting. I'm really excited about that. I enjoy <laughs> Live and Let Die. Well, okay, we'll talk about it next time. I got that one, so we don't have to pause because of, of COVID until the one after that because my source is going to dry up if they're not open again. Soon. No, no, no. We're going to keep you going. I, I got you, but uh, 
well, well, whatever. Anyway, but yeah, the point is, um, yeah, 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 yeah. The title sequence is great, and the song. I, I'm I'm not a fan of Shirley Bassey. I, I, not that I'm not saying the song's bad, but it, it it's not exactly. It's not my cup of tea, but you know what? It's still it's still good. It's a very. I don't want to say serviceable because it's actually a very good song. It's just not my my thing. That's okay. I I understand that even if you, you understand. I I, I, rec- I recognize the talent. I'm not. No, no, no. I'm not saying she's not talented and it's not good. It's just not not what I what I like in a song. But that's that's not her problem. That's mine. Um, true. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, true. So this is this is weird. So basically, at the beginning of the movie, Bond goes on this killing spree. For what reason? Because basically, because of the the all the time the murder of his death. wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was like some other fellow. It's so bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> well, this never happens to the other fellow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Still stupid to this day. Yeah. The Lazenby movie back to back with like watching them all in order and, and in relatively close proximity, like Lazenby's bond, you realize a lot of the creeper and sinisterness and, and dare I say rapiness of, of the bond movies rests a lot on Sean Connery, much more so than like yes. the script and the characters. It, it's definitely part of what, how he play chooses to play the character. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, because it's back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's back. Cause we distinctly discussed last episode about how, how it had gotten considerably less creepy and Oh man, it's making a comeback. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, he slapped somebody because they're being hysterical again. Yeah. 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 Jill St. John, right? Uh, Tiffany case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do have to say this. I, I love uh, there, there's a, a scene in it where um, uh, this girl that he's picked up down on the casino floor. Uh, yeah, plenty of tool. Room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. She gets tossed out a window and he says, oh, it was a remarkable throw. <laughs> and the, the, the Las Vegas monstrous looks at him and says, I had no idea there was even a pool down there. <laughs> That's such a good line. <laughs> Like, I mean, yeah. what a great villain because he just doesn't care. Like, he just threw somebody out a window and he just doesn't care. The thing that really got to me about this movie is the difference in fashion between 1969 and 1971. Yeah. Especially is in the pants. Like, he's got that, that high waisted, no belt yeah. thing going on all of a sudden. Yeah. When did that happen? In that two years. What the heck, man? Because, like, like. Yeah, Diamonds Are Forever is so recognizably 70s. It's like it's sort of proto 70s, but like it's definitely no, I there. Mean, like it, it, you you see like the 70s were like a light switch. It just went from 60s, 70s click. It wasn't like other decades where there's a slow evolution. Yeah, it was like hippie fashions kind of just met the, the modern wave. And the, they it, ran they into a brick wall and, and they, they went straight into polyester. Yeah, that's so bizarre. It's so and it's so weird, like Sean Connery Bond wearing like non traditional tuxedos and 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 just yeah, it's so it's so strange. And I was telling you, and it's I, so I watched the movie in two in two hunks. Uh, I watched the first hour and then I watched the second hour. And I was talking to you about the first hour. The first hour seems like it was written for Lazenby because there's a lot of cracks. It was about it was Bond Bond being like a youngin. You know, like like uh, he's meeting with M and M's like, you know, saying, oh, we get along in your absence. And are you paying attention? And and it's like, you know, they have all these like gags and jokes written for this young man who's played by 41 year old Sean Connery at the time, you know, and it just doesn't exactly and fly. And he's not aging gracefully at this point either because he might have <laughs> no. been only 41. 
But however many packs a day he was hitting, he looked more like 51. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. He, he yes, I mean, he he's did. got gray in the temples. I mean, he's, you know, not that I'm any spring chicken at 42, but. Okay, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Like, James Bond is the worst spy ever. Ever. Oh, man. Like, he's constantly ever. getting caught in this one. Well, no, like, okay, so there's this part early on in the movie where he goes to meet Tiffany Case and uh, he's pretending to be somebody else. And then the guy he's pretending to be gets away or something. And so he ends up having to murder him in cold blood because, you know, it's Bond. That's what he does. And then he switches wallets with the guy. And so he hands uh, Tiffany Case uh, James Bond's Playboy Club card because why not? And she's like, oh, my God, do you know who you just killed? Robert. Yeah, you just killed James Bond. And it's like, wait a minute. So you're saying a diamond smuggler that's like in the Netherlands or wherever the heck she was, like knows who James Bond is and obviously doesn't know his face. But like there's enough reputation around a guy named James Bond that these like smuggling mid-level smugglers to be a undercover agent who uses his real name all the time. (sighs) He's the worst spy ever. Oh, these movies don't make any sense. Not the early ones, no. No, no it doesn't get any better, because I, I remember Tomorrow Never Dies, and, you know... It like, does get better. It gets better when we hit Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> That's when they finally decided that the plot actually matters. Yeah. Oh, oh, I can't wait. Anyway, anyway. So, when I was a younger lad, I remember really liking this movie, and I think a big part of it was when I was a younger man, I was really in love with Vegas for reasons I can't fathom, because I'm an introvert, and I am i don't like oh, spending a lot of money Vegas on frivolous things. Amazing. 70s Vegas is amazing. Well, I, Vegas is amazing, no matter how you slice it, but um, I'd still be in love with Vegas if I didn't have all these anchors around my neck called children, because you can't go to Vegas with children. That costs way too much. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I got to I got to save like, money for gambling. But anyway, old Vegas is amazing. Like yeah, I love I, well, the I old mean, Vegas even, bits. I, I started going to Vegas in the late 80s, early 90s. And then I, I went a lot in the late 90s. And so I saw that transformation be, be, between old Vegas and I mean, it's not new Vegas anymore. But, you know, when the mega casinos started coming out, like Excalibur yeah. and Luxor and all that, I, yeah. I watched that transformation. And Vegas had already grown out so much before uh, you know before that happened that seeing old vegas and seeing how small it was is yeah just jaw-dropping man yeah it's weird it's very strange it's cool though i mean i i at 70s because you see a lot of 60s vegas because that's like that's like you know rat pack you know like yeah classic vegas but 70s vegas is is oft overlooked and um yeah it's it's just a trip seeing like it's it's fun i i enjoyed that I enjoyed that. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm kind of talking tired of talking about how Connery Bond is creepy. Um, he was creepy. I mean, yeah, he yeah, but there Let's wasn't as much of that in this one. It, it, well, it, we talked there about wasn't as much. Yeah, and uh, it has a great car chase in it. That's true. Uh, I I was watching that today, and I was commenting to you that I think uh, John Landis saw that, and he's like, that's what I need <laughs> in the Blues Brothers, except, like, way more, like 11. 11 of that. <laughs> but, I mean, for for the time, that car chase is fantastic. It's, and it's actually it, it, it holds up. Too. Yeah, it holds up today. By the way, I was reading Fun Fact. Do you want to know why so many cars got crashed in that? Because 70, 70s cars don't like to stop? 
No, no. It's because uh, the director of this one, who I will look up in a second, is quoted as saying uh, that he hates American cars and he had a lot of fun smashing the crud out of them. <laughs> and it was that neat man, seeing that like 7071 uh, Mustang Mach 1. That was that's yeah. pretty. I like that car. By, by the way, the director of this one was Guy Hamilton. Yes. He hates American cars. <laughs> he directed Goldfinger, so that makes sense. So, they, yeah, they brought him back for this one. That's good. Yeah. He also does uh, the next one, too. He did Live and Let Die. The next two, he, he does Live and Let Die and the Man with the Golden Gun. So there you go. Yeah, he did three in a row. Yeah, he was a good director. I, I'm not surprised they tried to bring him back as much as they did. Dependable. And 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 com- compared to the, the mess that was the uh, shooting and direction of the last one, this is a, a well-constructed film. It's paced well, and it has really, really nice camera tricks. Oh, I was just going to say, no, no, there's a reason why they bring him back so much. Like, it's he, he he's he's a very decent director. And I, I'm sure whatever negative thing you're about to say uh, is it, we can probably directly attribute to 1970s more than anything. But Well, and it's script-based more than anything else. Yeah. It's just, like, why is it that Bond is constantly getting not just caught but put into elaborate death traps? <laughs> Even dumb ones. Like Mr. Wind and Mr. Kid, like, huh, we just caught James Bond and we gassed him. Should we shoot him right here? Should we crush him in this car that we're going to drive away? No, I got it. Let's just gingerly put him into a metal pipe and then seal him underground somewhere in Vegas. Surely he won't get out. So dumb. And then hope he gets run over by a welding robot. By a flimsy welding robot that he stops with his feet. <laughs> And, and it's not even like he gets himself out of those jams uh, more than, you know, like the first one, he's stuck in a coffin and he's put into an incinerator and there's no way out. He's going to die, except that they don't have what they're looking for. So they take him out just because he's the only one that knows where it is. It's yeah. not because he's a great spy. No, we're spy ever. We're spy ever. Anyway, I, I don't know what to say. If you're only going to watch one Connery Bond movie. It should probably be Goldfinger, <laughs> but if you're gonna watch two, Diamonds Are Forever is a good is, is is a good second run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. Uh, what do you think of Mister Wit, Mister Kid? Well, there's a funny story about that. Okay, so it's it's they're really, in the original uh, book, but they're not. I mean, like I'm impressed is, by just. It's really obvious that those two are supposed to be a homosexual couple. Like, like for 1971, it is real clear that that is their relationship you know yeah and they do fall into the bad trope of uh you know gay is bad and gay is evil which is is not a, a great trope <laughs> and i'm glad yeah. we are we are slowly moving away from it again i, I was shocked about it. it was very clear and they didn't i, I don't know maybe it didn't like exist at the time but a lot of the sort of stereotypical gay behaviors that you know are funny and sort of the 90s they're not stereotypical i'm used to no they're not they're not following that at all they're just uh yeah they're just i I, the only problem i have is that they're 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 villains i don't even have a problem with them that they're weirdos that that makes them actually kind of interesting yeah green screen my only problem is that they're 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 cast into the villain role barring that if if those guys were cast in I, I don't know. Like I, I've seen ones previous to this where they have hench goons that are just big and muscly and, you know, it's just these two random schlubby looking guys, you know, which I kind of yeah, dug. I like if you're going to have what's like, neat, cause they can blend in better. 
Yeah, yeah. Which you'd want if you were like a you know henchman like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah no. And and let's not even talk about Bambi and Thumper. <laughs> oh, just, I don't yeah. even know what's going on there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My daughter was in the room when that was happening, and she's like, and she's like, "What's going on?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's that's How Bambi about and the Thumper." Elaborate way that James Bond gets on that that oil platform. I mean, he could have just taken a helicopter, but no, yeah. he takes an airplane, yeah. jumps out of the airplane inside of a giant inflatable ball which is gently lowered by parachute to the water and then walks on the water in this giant inflatable ball like it's just so elaborate it's ridiculous yeah he's the worst spy ever like what was his plan and why didn't blowfeld just shoot him <laughs> seriously james wants here he, he walked in on the silver thing oh for christ's sake just shoot him and throw him into the sea <laughs> see i feel Come like on, that's blowfeld. what Eric goldfinger would have done yeah. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. So uh, yet another reason why we have to watch uh, Austin Powers, the dude counting down on the on the oil rig at the end, that's totally <laughs> in, in Austin Powers as well. Oh, man, what a mess. All right. It, <laughs> so, well. okay, so now that we've semi-officially at least closed out the official Connery Bond movies, taking a look back, it's early cinema is showing, but I'm not sure, honestly... If there's much to view here, because by our modern sense, like a lot of the amusement you could get out of the Connery Bond movies, just how weird and kitschy and old it is, is kind of offset by how poorly it's aged in a lot of its, you know, uh, you, you know, it, it that that aging has only accelerated in the past 15 years. Yeah, I agree, because I watched all these like 10 years ago and I still remember thinking it was kind of fun, but yeah. No, the, yeah. the, the, the aging that we are seeing currently just shows you how far society has come in the last 10 to 15 years, truthfully. That, that's accelerated how these things are going away. Every film that you watch, you always have to take in the context of when it was built, right? Because it's not fair to a movie to judge its special effects or anything like that uh, based on modern standards because technology has changed so very, very much. But even taking that into account, a lot of these early films are just a hot mess. They're not told well. Yeah, Bond's not a very good spy. He's very passive. You know, like this, like the whole. I can't believe we didn't bring it up. Like the the whole sequence on the roof of the White House uh, hotel. The, I I was thinking about it. And like, is this the first time we've seen Bond be, especially Connery Bond, be proactive in finding a villain? You know, it's like I think this guy's here. I'm going to go do some like spy nonsense and like swing around on this roof to get there instead of like just stumbling into it and getting captured. Yeah. Like, that's something that they do much better as, as these movies go on. But is that the first time that's happened? Like, he, cause he always uh, seems to stumble into the villains later and, no, and get captured. He, there's, there's the beginning of Thunderball when he's, he's intentionally, uh, trying to get that one person and then takes the jetpack out. But that's the stinger in the opening. That doesn't count. You know, I'm, I'm talking about like the, the villain, like where he just sort of like wanders in there, gets captured and somehow like, you know, lucks his way into a plan. I, okay. I guess, I guess the volcano base, he didn't really do that, but still like, there's a lot of that in those movies and, uh, and, yeah, and but volcano. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But volcano base. <laughs> I don't know. It, do we even need to say anything else? But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, just from a storytelling perspective, these movies aren't great. I, I, I mean, I gotta say there, there's a lot of like nuggets of things that you would come to expect out of a good action movie later, but they're, 
they're still like panning it out and refining it and shining it up. In, at I this guess point. what we have to remember more than anything else is, is that the reason these movies were so attractive is because everything that we see that we kind of giggle at was at the time beyond cutting edge. No, I get it. I get it. It's just weird. It's weird looking back at them. It's weird looking back at them, remembering how I looked back at them 10 years ago too. Cause like I, I do remember doing this whole thing 10 years ago. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm interested. Things that we were changing. Yeah, no, I, I, better, I, right. That, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm, I'm curious how I feel about Roger Moore in my old age. Cause, uh, when we, when we're here at a, a view to a kill and looking back, cause, um, you know, the thing about Moore I, and, and maybe things have changed and, and I, I will be curious to see if this holds true as we, we go into his movies. He was always more gentlemanly. I no, I agree. Like, I, I don't remember him having, nearly as many creepy creepy. moments like he never struck anybody just because they were being hysterical and things like that you know yeah well and and roger moore himself i mean as we've seen in in his subsequent appearances on various media he's a little bit of a goofball and that kind of comes out oh it definitely does definitely does i mean there's certainly a a certain campiness to these these mid mid 70s to early 80s films that that I don't know. Part of me actually kind of misses because they, they kind of knew how ridiculous the whole thing was. And so it had a little more wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Ne- never to the point where you're breaking the fourth wall looking at you, Lazenby. Well, we will we will see. And we will begin our journey starting 84. Yeah. With, uh, Next episode. Live and let die. Live and let die. Li- Live and let die. Oh, Axel, you did a great cover of that. That actually is a great cover. It's one of the few covers that really I, I think is as good as the original but the original oh man what a great song i can't wait to talk about that yeah it's gonna be good it's gonna be great yeah. <laughs> i remember i still wait, remember corkscrew that no that's uh corkscrew flip is in uh the one in thailand uh which is oh yeah you're right uh, you're right you're right golden gun yeah golden gun yeah because that's amazing but you have to remember that the sheriff from uh live and let die is in the car when he does the corkscrew flip that's probably why you're thinking about it. oh yeah the, the sheriff the oh man okay yeah we got okay Next, nah, next time, next time. That's right. I forgot about that that one reoccurring character, besides Felix Leader, <laughs> <laughs> who's always played played by somebody different. <laughs> Is in the more uh, okay? Now, now I got to know. In the more era, I wonder if they get the same actor because Jodan Baker did it for the Broslin movies at the very least. So they at least kind of. But he only, he only appeared in like two. No, he was in a lot of them. Was he? Anyway, we'll get there. Which is we'll funny because he was the bad guy in the the first of the. Um, well, just like Blofeld was the, the the MI six guy in the fifth one. I mean, yeah. it, the, the, they recycle a lot of actors. It's kooky. Anyway, we're we're just rambling at this point. Let's let's go to your in life and wrap this up. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our no time to bond segment for this episode, part seven in the series. Join us again for part eight next episode when we get into the Moore era. It's now time for our year in the life segment. This is, of course, a segment where we take a look at what we deep dove a year ago and jibber jabber about it for a while. Forgot my dice, episode fifty nine. It was exciting when I was twelve. We played. Actually, let me rephrase. I and Gina played Fluffy Bunny oh, Tea Party. That's right. That's right. You were out with Amelia, which uh, makes perfect sense because we just had her year birthday party not too long ago. So there you go. Uh, we talked about Fluffy Bunny Tea Party. We talked about a lot of things that Gina watches because we don't ordinarily talk about them around here, like Outlander. And <laughs> oh, Outlander! That shows back on the air. And Gina and I are still having our classic argument of why you would go back in time to the colonial era if you were from the 1960s, because it sounds like a fresh level of hell to me. Yeah. No I don't kidding. know about you. That is a weird choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would not go colonial. No, 
No. <laughs> what are you going there? You, you, you're in a big giant war and there's lots of disease and people have a tendency to get eaten by bears. No, thanks. Yeah. No, it's just, it's a violent, violent, very time. terrible time. Very terrible. Yeah. Time. That is not where I would go. No, no. But my wife thinks it's romantic and she's probably beating her computer with a chair right now listening to us. Cause <laughs> she, she keeps saying, I don't understand. You don't understand Robert. Yeah, I don't. Apparently it's my best Gina. <laughs> uh no her exact line is usually you don't understand it, it's the love of her life <laughs> and i'm like i still would rather have a flush toilet <laughs> what you are saying is it is her passion <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> oh that was, so, that was nice of you that yeah you're nice. welcome you're welcome you're welcome hopefully that gets you some <laughs> Oh, we talked about the new Roswell show, which hasn't been back on, come to think of it. Um, <laughs> That's no, it's still act. around. No, no, it's 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 still on. I think they just do half seasons, so I think it's a summer thing. Um, let's see what we're... Uh, see, I wasn't there, so I really I, I have no no comment about it. Betrayal Baldur's Gate, because we'd played that. Veronica Mars, we were talking about that. There you go. And yeah, Fluffy Bunny Tea Party. Good times. Good times. I actually just stumbled across my copy of that the other day. I was doing some cleaning in my office, and I was like, oh, I need to play this again. Yeah. Yeah, your kids will love it. They're at the right age. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this segment, which means it's time for another quick break. But when we return, it will be time to strap on your racing outfits, hop on the back of that bike, and as we talk about Flamme Rouge. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up at one of the following. You can join us on Patreon, where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain, set the Lamont configuration to full hell mode. Oddly, you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio. Wait, what? I have such sights to show you, Jonathan. Ah, I need to take your Netflix account away from you. And welcome back from the break. Now it is time for us to dive deep into our deep dive for the segment, Flam Rouge. The excitement in the air is electric as the leaders around the last corner and head for the finish line. Each team, hold on, I made this font really small. I'm going to make it bigger. <laughs> My old ass eyes. Oh, man. Didn't they write a song about that? Old ass size. I can't see crap on my screen. I made the font too small. Oh, that size. Is it getting smoky in here or is it cataracts in my eyes? <laughs> <laughs> the excitement in the air is electric as the leaders round the last corner and head towards the finish line. Each team has used cunning and skill to position their sprinter for this moment, but only one has done enough to pull off the win. Will your team lead from the front uh, front and risk exhaustion? Should you play it safe in the middle? Or could you surprise everyone by striking from the back? Can you time your move perfectly? Anyone can race. Few become champions. Flamme Rouge 
Flamme Rouge, whatever. Flame Rogue is a fast-paced tactical bicycle racing game where each player controls a team of two riders. A, whoa, French word. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a stab at this. Here we go, shot in the dark. <laughs> controls a team of two riders, a rollier and a sprinty, sprint. It's a U, a so you roulier. say roulier, roulier. a sprinter, whatever. Almost like ruler. Ruler. A ruler and a sprinter. The player's goal is to be the first cross the finish line with one of their riders. Players move their riders forward by drawing and playing cards from that rider-specific deck, depleting it as they go. Use slipstreams to avoid exhaustion and position your team for a well-timed sprint for the win. All right, Jonathan, do it to me. How does it play? Uh, the first thing you'll notice when you take things out of the box is that there's a bunch of tiles uh, that allow you to custom build racetracks. There are seven straight tiles, six soft turns, and six sharp turns in the box. Uh, and the different expansions, uh, one part of what comes in the expansion are different tiles with different effects on them. You always have a start and a finish, no matter what. That's always the same. And then you use the straight, soft turns, and sharp turns to construct your course. And those courses are based off of cards within the box. Uh, there are six stage cards that come with the base game, or, of course, you can create your own course uh, and do all kinds of fun stuff. Next thing you'll do after you build up your ter- track is that everybody gets two decks of cards. They get one for their rouillet and one for their sprinter. Basically, those are separate, and you control two riders because that is your team of riders, that you have to work both of your riders uh, every turn to have any kind of success in this game. It really is a a game about smartly using both of your riders to both uh, block folks from moving forward in the pack and also um, enhance people's natural speed uh, using some of the drafting and uh, additional rules, which we'll talk about a little more in just a moment. So the game, once you have your riders down uh, and your track built up, really comes down to just three phases. In the first phase, you do what's called the energy phase. Every player does this phase simultaneously. Everybody's going to draw four cards from their uh, deck and place one of them face down. That's the one that you're going to play. The other three get put into a discard pile. And you do that twice, once for your sprinter and one for your roulette. And both of those riders are then going to play that card in the second phase, which is the movement phase. That's when you flip your, your hidden card over and all of the played cards are revealed and everybody gets moved up the track, whatever the amount on that card is. Now, the two riders have very different distributions of uh, movement. Uh, the roulet tend to be very methodical in their writing, uh, but they cannot go nearly as fast as the sprinters. Uh, the sprinters are, are, are a weird combination of both super, super fast cards sometimes moving um, definitely the most of the game uh, at any given turn and there's also cards in there that are super super slow uh, because they're good at short bursts of energy versus the rouleur which is uh, you know all the time so uh, in the second phase after all the cards are revealed starting in the frontmost rider every rider gets moved forward the exact number of squares on their matching card when you get to the end of the movement phase uh there's a secondary phase where we remove all the played cards and those are those leave your deck permanently they're never coming back so once you play a card that's the last time you'll see it and you apply slip streaming so 
naturally, just like in bike riding, uh, little packs will appear, right? And if there is exactly one empty square between two packs of riders, then the rear pack is moved forward one square as they get sucked along by the slipstream of the riders in the front. Then the last thing you do is assign exhaustion cards. The riders in the front of packs that have not been sucked forward by slipstreaming, so it has to be a rider with nobody in front of them, get assigned an exhaustion card, which means that they are going to um, potentially, when they draw their four cards, come up with exhaustion instead of forward motion. And that exhaustion means you're still moving forward, but at a very slow rate. Because remember how I told you you take four and you only pick one? Yeah. The other three cards go into a discard pile that you will eventually shuffle and recycle back through in the in the game. And that's the one where the uh, exhaustion cards are mixed in. And that's it. You keep doing those phases over and over and over again, and you um, you try and get to the end of the race in first position. Seems easy enough. It seems easy enough, but man, there's, the devil really is in the details in this game. Because while this game is very, very simple from a rule perspective... From a strategic perspective, there are so many different things that you can do in this game to basically make it the experience. One of the deepest experiences I've ever had, and certainly my favorite racing game of all time. So, Jonathan, tell me about the rule book. Well, the nice thing about this game is it's very straightforward and very simple from a, a gameplay perspective. So the rule book is four simple pages, and it's very easy to reference and in a very smart uh, layout. Uh, there really is no need for an index or anything because everything's on these four pages. Oh, that's it? Yeah, that's it. It's four pages, so it's just literally like you open it up and there you are? <laughs> yeah, there's a front cover, a back cover, and the two middle pages, and that's it. Huh. Now, one thing that we didn't talk about, um, and this is covered on the last page, are that there are some um, ways that you can handicap the game for new players, and those are detailed out on the last page. And most importantly, uh, one thing that we didn't talk about is that some of the tracks will feature red and blue sections, and what those indicate are elevation changes. And because these guys are on bikes, the elevation changes have some interesting effects on the cards. When you are going, when you are playing the movement phase, if you are on an uphill, for instance, no matter what card you play, even if it is a higher number than five, your card will be capped at five, and all of your excess moves are wasted. This is where some of that um, uh, strategy really comes into play. The downhill section, which is the blue section, uh, is kind of worse the opposite. No matter what you play, it'll have a minimum effect of five. Hmm. So if you have an exhaustion card and you want to get rid of it, you play it on a downhill section. And even though you're playing an exhaustion card, which only has a movement of two, you're going to get five. On uphills, by the way, there is no slipstreaming. On downhills, there is slipstreaming. So on the downhill, you could take a two and actually turn it into a move of six if you play your your uh, if your position right. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So speaking of these tracks, are, do you make them into loops or are they just sort of like a, a line? They are not loops because uh, road racing and cycling is not a loop. It is uh, def- you know several sections linked together traveling from one place to another. Okay. Now, there's nothing that says you can't make a loop. Right, using right. The, uh, you know, using the, the expansion tracks especially, I bet you could. But um, the game very specifically is tuned for the, the six track designs that are in the box. Yeah, I'm not saying you can't make your own tracks, but it might not be quite as well balanced. Because let me tell you, 
this game is exquisitely balanced. I have played this game probably 10, 15 times now. And every time the pack is nice and tight at the end of the game, everybody is still relatively together. And there's always an exciting last move where everybody's making a wild break for the finish line. You've talked a bit about the, the board, the track, and you've talked about the cards. The biking figures, are they little meeples or how, how, what do they look like? No, they're little plastic dudes. Okay. There's two sculpts, one for the, the roulette and one for the sprinter. They have different poses. And on their back, there's a little silkscreened S or R so that they're easy to determine. And they come in four different plastic colors. So the four players can have, um, you know, each their own color. So it's very easy to spot on the board. And I believe one of the expansions is a five or six player expansion and it comes with additional riders. And how, what's the quality of these plastic figures and cards in general? Now, the sculpts are pretty well detailed. You can see the spokes on the wheels, uh, but they are, of course, because they're they're plastic injection molded, you know, discs, essentially. There's decent detail on all the figures, but, you know, this isn't a game that you're coming for uh, for the minis, right? But would you say the, the cardboard and the, the components are of a good quality or? Oh, yeah. No, the cardboard's great. Um, it's, it's nice, thick uh, components. The cuts are really nice and tight, so that means that when you fit them all together to make your racetrack. You got a nice tight fit and everything is a, is a, a decent quality. It's a, it's a nice little quality game. The The design aesthetic of the art is really nice. It's kind of classic 30s, 40s, 50s French racing style. Oh, I'm seeing something interesting here. So I, I'm looking at pictures on the Board Game Geek and somebody has a sample layout and I see what you mean about the red tracks, but Maybe I'm just not seeing the blue, but it looks like they have an all uphill course on this one. Oh, it could be. It could very well be. Well, that's cool. Is there any mechanical benefit for these sheep crossing the road in this piece I'm seeing right here? No, they're just there to look good. Oh, okay, cool. That's fair. How funny. The, the tile I was looking at has sheep on it, too. <laughs> I think that's just a, a friendly reminder that the, the game is supposed to take place in the French countryside and... Sheep are uh, are an issue in the French countryside. So, but yeah, f- so from what I'm seeing is you can really change up the play style by if there's an uphill course that's all uphill, you don't have those those sweet spots for yeah, downhill drifting. You're, you're, you're going to lose a lot of the slipstreaming ability uh, because when you're going up uh, up a hill, you do not benefit from slipstream. Uh, and that's going to really change the way you play your cards. And um, that's kind of one of the greatest things about this game is is you're playing these same decks every time you play the game, right? And you'd think that that you would get to know them, but it, it really is, how am I going to apply that deck to this specific course? Because the course is such a big component in the math you're doing in your head to try and maximize your moves. And if you, you, you get unlucky and get a bad draw, or you spend too much time in the lead and get a lot of exhaustion and end up with a lot of exhaustion cards on an uphill section you're kind of doing yourself in. And in that respect, that's one of the greatest things it does. I mean, you know, I've I've spent a good chunk of my life riding bikes and I can tell you uphill exhaustion is a thing. It, it, it grinds on you. And, and the way this game handles it is, is really interesting. It is highly thematic. So is there anything they could have done better in the execution of this? No, you know what? I got to tell you, and this is one of the reasons why it's one of my, if not my favorite racing game of all times, it's a simple, to the point execution, nothing too flashy, nothing too too cheap. It's a phenomenal game with such great depth in an easy play mechanic. This is my favorite type of game because it's so easy to teach and yet 
the one thing everybody says when they get to the end of their first race is, wow, I had no idea that there was going to be that much thinking in this. Oh, the five, six player expansion adds white and pink teams. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Which is an interesting color choice. And I have played with six players and it is still exquisitely balanced. Ooh, and they have cobblestone roads. Yeah, the cobblestone adds a different uh, effect, kind of like the uphill, downhill. And then there's also wind breaks and stuff that uh, can add a different effect as well. So this game, what's the minimum player count? Is it two or three? Uh, minimum player count is two, but this is one of those games that, A, you benefit from having the exact same play time whether you have two players or four players. It does not add time to have additional players because everything is, is rendered at the same time. Uh, and honestly... The more people you put in, the better the action gets because you're you're having to deal with more packs and more people and that makes passing and when you apply a big move that much more interesting. So you'd say go for the max? If you've only got two of you, you're going to have a great time. But if you've got four of you or more, then it is a, still a sublime, if not completely enhanced and better situation. All right, Jonathan. If you could only say one last thing about this game, because I'm only going to allow you to say one last thing about this game, what would that thing be? If you are at all interested in a good racing game or a good thinking strategy game, go buy this. It is phenomenal. Yeah, no, I'm curious. If you can bring it whenever it is you do manage to come out and visit, please do. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means we are at the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you've played Flamme Rouge. I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, and if it is as uh, much fun for you as it is for me, because, man, I love this game. As always, Robert, any final thoughts? So tomorrow, by this time, I should, in my hot little hands, have the new Dungeons & Dragons book, The Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Ooh. Yes. Which I can't wait to hear about it in episode 84. Yes. I, I don't think you were here when me and Gina, I think it was me and Gina that talked about this, but this is the, uh, the campaign book based off of the second season of critical role, which I know nothing about. And I am excited to actually read of it because this will be my sort of first critical role experience, to be honest with you. So I'm wondering how it will compare. It'll, it'll be an interesting entry way for me so i am excited we will see how it goes also also do you know how much grognard tears were shed when this came out did we talk about that i can't remember if i talked to you about it i think i know i talked to gina about it i think we did i think we yeah did. yeah and then they they announced the the new you know theros book and now nobody cares because you know guess what everybody gets to have something gatekeepers let the kids have their fun you get to have fun too with your greek inspired setting it's fine. Everything's fine. We're all fine here. <laughs> How, How are, are you? you guys? How are you? Well, then that leaves only one thing, Robert. Be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. You want to know what's funny? What's In the last episode, you didn't say be excellent to one another and party on. So I went and stole that from episode 76 and spliced it in. <laughs> Well done. I'm sorry, I didn't. <laughs> no, we were. Wasn't I really tired last episode? Yeah, you were really tired last episode. I didn't even realize it when it happened either, so it's fine. I just, it was funny when I was editing. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. So I went, I stole it from <laughs> 70, I, I pretty, it was 76 or 79. I stole it.
at all. Yeah, at least we were able to get it in. There you go. And it, it sounded okay. <laughs> Maybe I should have tried to grab a couple of them and see which one sounded best, but that one, that one sounded fine enough. To make I'm like, ah, I'll just like this one. That's fine. <laughs> The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 